Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm excited to welcome to the show today my friend and um, fellow fighter for life, I guess I should say, um, Kimberly Jorgensen, and she is from Salem Pregnancy. If you are new to the podcast, I hope you'll go back and listen to our episode from about a year ago with her colleague, Dottie Powers, who talked all about the services offered at Salem Pregnancy. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Emily. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So as we get started, Kimberly, I would love for you to tell us just briefly, um, because we do have that whole other episode, a little bit about you and your role at Salem Pregnancy, as well as just the basics of what you guys do there. Sure. So um, I am the executive director at Salem Pregnancy Care Center, and we're in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Our organization has been around since 1985, and we serve women and families primarily in an unplanned pregnancy situation. So what that means is we provide free services um, that are just practical services. So we provide free pregnancy tests, free limited obstetric ultrasounds, parenting classes, options counseling, our HOPE program, which was a long-term program, uh, mentoring, and material resources, as well as um, references and referrals to other organizations that provide help that a woman or a family in the situation might need. And what I love most is that you guys don't just talk about all those things, you actually do them. And I have been fortunately privy to being able to uh, be a part of a few of those services and uh, participating and helping with some of those classes and mentoring and so forth. And you guys really do what you say you do. And we thank you for that. Um, Tell me about your legal background, Kimberly, because I think before we dive into the meat of today's topic, it's important to share kind of where we're coming from today. Yeah. So I am a licensed attorney for the state of North Carolina. Um, I graduated from law school from American University in 2009, cum laude, and then um, I was barred in Maryland and then in North Carolina. I do not practice. Instead, um, I work at Salem Pregnancy. (laughs) Yes, but I am certain that you use a lot of that legal expertise um, in your day-to-day as well. Um, So, Today, we want to dive into a discussion about Roe versus Wade and everything that's happening in the federal government. And I know everybody understands that there is a lot of conversation about what's happening in the Supreme Court and is Roe versus Wade going to be overturned. That said, I don't think that the average person really understands what the law says, what the concerns are, and what might happen next if it is overturned. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. And so let's just start with what is the current law, federal law, with Roe v. Wade? What does that say? How do we get there? Let's just start with that. Okay. So Roe v. Wade is a Supreme Court case that was decided in the 70s. I want to say 1973. And what Roe v. Wade did was it's the question before the court is was basically who has the right to legislate about abortion. And so Roe v. Wade decided that it was a constitutional right that under the 14th Amendment, the Due Process Clause, 
freedom for privacy that women have the right um, through viability, basically, for an abortion. And so then there's a bunch of other cases that came after Roe v. Wade, usually called its progeny. The biggest one being in 1992, I believe it was, which is Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which further explained what restrictions are and are not allowed under Roe v. Wade. And it's those two cases, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which is wholly predicated on Roe v. Wade, that make up really what the law is on abortion as far as what states are allowed to limit or not limit with regard to abortion. So there's not a federal law outside of case law. Um, mm -hmm. It's just the U.S. Constitution and the 14th Amendment. Okay. And the 14th Amendment um, under that is saying that it's the right to the privacy piece of that. Yes, it's right to privacy. Okay. And so, so it's a woman's privacy to make her own health care decisions, basically. Okay, gotcha. Now, moving forward to where we are today. So everybody knows that um, there is th that this is all back at the Supreme Court and being decided again. Can you bring us up to speed as far as what is happening right now and what our Supreme Court is considering um, right well right now in, in yeah. this session? So there are actually two cases before the Supreme Court that a lot of people have been talking about. And the vast majority of the attention right now is on the case Dobbs v. Jackson's Jackson Women's Health. Dobbs v. Jackson is about the Mississippi abortion law. There is a law on the books in Mississippi that bans abortion after 15 weeks. Um, and then after 15 weeks, um, I believe that the ban does not make an exception for rape or for incest. And so the conversation is about whether or not Mississippi has the authority to ban abortion after 15 weeks or to restrict abortion after 15 weeks at all. And then furthermore, can they do so without those restrictions? And that is the case that is before the Supreme Court and has not actually yet been decided, but a draft was leaked. And that is where all this discussion is coming in. <laughs> Sure. And can you k give us a summary of what that decision draft says? Yes. So the draft was Justice Alito, which is not the chief justice. So we do not know whether or not if the chief justice decides to um, vote with the conservative judges, then then um, there may be a different opinion that comes out that he writes, um, because typically if he's with the majority, he'll write the opinion. So this is a, an Alito draft. And basically what it says is that that Mississippi does, in fact, have the right to have this abortion ban. And therefore, Roe v. Wade is overturned because Roe v. Wade, as you'll recall, what it's doing is saying that states don't have that right under the Constitution. And so the Dobbs case, the Alito draft basically says that this is not a constitutional right. Gotcha. So it's not a constitutional right. Instead, it is a, a decision based state by state and the laws that their legislature um, drafts and, and then are, are put into law um, by governors. Correct. Uh, so which we'll talk about not... that in a moment. So, yeah, hearing a lot of outrage and meet in, in the media. And I think a lot of people think that what happens if Roe v. Wade is overturned is that abortion becomes illegal. And that's not 
really what happens. Can you give us some detail? I mean, we touched on this earlier, but can you tell us what actually will happen should this be overturned? So if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it just reverts back to the states, which is what happened before Roe v. Wade was in place. So it means that each state, each legislature in each state will determine what their laws are in that state. So some states aren't going to be affected at all because their abortion laws um, are are past viability, and so it makes no difference. And other states have laws on the books that are either being legislated now, like the Mississippi law or the Texas law, or they have laws on the books that have been overturned, like the North Carolina law, and then those will revert back to the laws that are on their books, regardless of what the status was under Roe v. Wade. Right. So um, when we were get preparing for this episode, you gave me an example of what happened in North Carolina to you know, uh, go a little further with this as far as what potentially could happen. Can you share that with our audience? Yes. So in North Carolina, we have a law on the books that is a 20-week abortion ban. Well, under the Roe v. Wade and its progeny, there was a federal court judge that decided um, in 2018 a case that was brought against uh, this law. And the what they decided, I can't remember the name of the case, but the decision was that it was unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade. And so currently in North Carolina, abortions are legal through viability. Um, viability is somewhere between 22 to 24 weeks. And so it's through viability instead of a 20 week ban. And so when, if this gets overturned, then what may happen is that the 20 week law will come back into place. And, um, and so it will be slightly more restrictive than it is now. Although in practice, there's not actually that much difference. Mm -hmm. Mm Okay. Okay. That is really helpful. Are there any other states that um, you can that have examples of maybe anything that might be sticky or different, um, kind of like this North Carolina law that you so, know of? I'm sorry, that's no, kind of putting you on that, the spot. Yeah, I know that there are several states that have that have laws that are more restrictive, and there are several states that are interested in enacting laws and are in the process now of doing that. I don't know the specific states. I do know that the Dobbs case obviously is the Mississippi law, which would be a 15 week ban. And in Mm -hmm. Texas, it's a six week ban. Um, Mm -hmm. Then there are other states on the opposite side of the issue, like New York, that have um, abortions well past viability. And Mm -hmm. so um, there's actually a list um, that you can find online. Um, Interestingly enough, I think a lot of the um, pro-abortion groups have these lists and they're a little bit, you know, they're a little bit misleading because they'll just put this color on a state and they'll say, okay, well, this state abortion rights are going to be, um, uh, severely restricted or something like that. And, and, you know, North Carolina shows up, but, but the interesting thing is that, Mm. um, I don't know how many abortions were there, um, I've got the stats somewhere. It's a very, very, very small number that will be affected by it. Right. Um, and I think yeah, let's go ahead and, and move into that because I think there's a couple other things that we that, that are really important to clear up. And I know that it's very hard to get really hard, fast facts on some of this for lots of reasons. Yeah. Um, 
But we hear right now the argument is there's a lot of uproar about what ha- what about rape and incest and those types of cases. Um, and of course, that's something, you know, th- as much as life is a black and white issue, there certainly are a lot of things and a lot of, you know, the health of the mother and that kind of thing. And so we're going to dive into a little bit about that. But how many or what percentage of abortions do we know are a result of rape or incest or and or um, abuse and that kind of thing? So, you know, that is that is something that's very hard to know the answer to. What we do know is there there are some some states will have exit interviews and there have been studies done in the past. And I think Guttmacher actually did one. Guttmacher is the research arm for Planned Parenthood. And so I like to use their statistics because if they're the one providing them, then then the pro-abortion advocates can't deny the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Guttmacher study, what they found was about 1% of um, people having an abortion cited rape as a reason, but I believe they said only 0.5% cited it as the main reason for getting Mm. an abortion. Um, And then incest was about 0.5% as well. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, Okay. I would, I, this is something I think really needs clarification as well. So another thing that I've heard a lot lately, especially is that, um, what about pregnancies that are ended due to the threats of the life of the mother or babies that cannot survive outside yeah. the womb? How are those um, situations classified, um, especially if they are maybe beyond that time of viability or, or right at 20 sure. weeks and that kind of thing? How is that classified? Is that considered abortion in the same way? And right. are the same laws, uh, are the same laws, um, um, what am I trying to say? Yeah. Are the same laws <laughs> responsible for regulating that? That's the word. <laughs> right. So that's a really murky issue. And I think a lot of people are really confused about that. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, ACOG recently released a statement about that. And it really obscures the issue further and makes it even more difficult. So I am not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. So the best thing that I want to do, if you'll permit me, is to read from APLOG. APLOG is the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. And they actually released a statement on this. And I think that that is so much better to say what actual medical professionals have to say about it Mm. than than me. And so um, a lot of times when you're talking about the health of women and you're talking about a a baby that is not able to survive outside of the womb, most of the time those are um, related to ectopic pregnancies, at least in the first trimester. Mm -hmm. And so this is a statement that they wrote about ectopic pregnancies and it says, but it's going to apply, I think, beyond that. It says ectopic pregnancy is a life-threatening condition and treating it is not the same thing as performing an abortion. Mm-hmm. And yet ACOG's statement seems to conflate the two, which leads to confusion, not only for physicians, but also for policymakers. Although treatment for ectopic pregnancy results in the unfortunate death of the embryo, it is not the intent of the treatment. The intent mm-hmm. is to save the life of the mother. The sole mm-hmm. intent of an abortion is to end the life of the, of the developing human being. Therefore, mm-hmm. Legislation restricting induced abortion should not be seen to limit a physician's ability to treat ectopic pregnancy. Mm, that's good. And, and I just, right. I think that that is, 
is, you know, to create, to get rid of the confusion, because I think that's, that's the problem is there is so much confusion in this space. And mm -hmm. it's just mis there's so many people too, that are just misleading the issue and trying to obscure the issue. And I'm not saying that ACOG is trying to do that. I can't comment on their motives, but, but it just confuses the issue for everyone, honestly. <laughs> Sure. What about, um, you know, if a, if a, if a mother is further along and, um, there's a, the baby has some sort of, um, oh, issue like that requires them to induce early to perhaps try to save the life of the baby, or sometimes knowing that that child is not going to survive, but it's for what there's all, obviously there's so yeah. many gray areas on this. And if, if an induction like that happens and the baby does not survive, is that kind of under the same umbrella that you just mentioned? Right. That's not an abortion. The purpose, the purpose of that is not to end the life of the baby. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what we're talking about here is, is, um, are we terminating a pregnancy or are we saving a life? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, pre-viability, if something happens to the woman before 22 to 24 weeks um, and the woman's life is in danger, then, you know, the proper medical process there, as far as I understand, and again, I'm not a medical professional, is to save the life of the woman. That baby, mm -hmm. if you don't save the life of the woman, the baby is not going to survive anyway. Right. So, um, and it's important to understand too, that, that, you know, pro-life people, we get this rap a lot of times and it's really untrue that all we care about is the baby, but mm -hmm. that is incredibly untrue. And you'll see signs and you'll see all sorts of statements about love them both because we, that's what it is, is we love them both. The mom and the baby are both precious gifts from God. And, mm -hmm. um, and they are you know, sons or daughters of Christ. And so we care about them and their value. It doesn't change. Their intrinsic value doesn't change just because they're in the womb or not. And mm -hmm. so, um, and so we are absolutely in favor of, of saving the life of the mother. Um, and, you know, if, if it means that, that a, a baby is there, you know, the, it's not the intent. And so it's, it's about that. Um, mm -hmm. But we don't, we do not agree with aborting a pregnancy. And, and a lot of the times when they're talking about, and I've heard, I've heard some conversations about, you know, late term abortions, saving the life of the mom, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. I have never, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I have never heard of a case where an abortion in that case is safer than delivery of the baby because um, for late-term abortions, they're still delivering um, right. a baby. It's just whether the baby's alive or dead. Right. Well, and I guess, and I get very confused in those circumstances. If a mother, you know, a, a viable baby, if at that point a mother decides that she does not want her baby there are people lined up to the ends of the earth that desire to adopt infants. And I get really confused about what would the purpose of that even be, even if the child has significant medical challenges and right. that kind of thing, there are people that that is their life's calling. And I get really confused as to how it could, why, why it would make any kind of moral sense or even be best for the mother despite her wishes to not raise that child to right. terminate that child's life. That doesn't make any logical or moral sense to me. And so I think we get stuck on these things that actually there are not, there are solutions for that are not, um, they're not dramatic or different. They're, they actually don't even take that much 
deep thought because there are there are people that would love to adopt babies regardless of health conditions and so forth. So absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. it makes me think if there's that famous saying, and you know, I tried to look it up before our podcast, and apparently nobody knows who to attribute it to. But there's mm-hmm. a famous saying, your right to swing your arm stops at someone else's nose. Mm-hmm. And so and so it's like this idea of freedom of choice. Well, you know, I get it. In the case of rape, it wasn't your choice. Mm-hmm. But um, first of all, that's 1%. You know, there are over 25,000 abortions in the state of North Carolina in 2020. And um, there's still over 25,000 abortions in the state of North Carolina that were not related to that. You know, so, so, mm-hmm. um, uh, <laughs> but your rights, your freedom of choice, you know, in any other context, if this child was alive, would stop um, right. at another person's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so, that's so great and helpful. I think clearing up some of these intricacies that, that um, can make us pause and be like, well, I don't know what does happen then, you know? So I think uh, I would love to finish with just some, some tips that you might have as Christians and conservatives. How can we best prepare to support mothers and babies if Roe is overturned? And here in our state of North Carolina, which I know laws are different everywhere, um, it's probably not going to make a huge difference with the laws that are on the books, as you mentioned, right. um, but other places might be different. And I think it's really great for us to think about how we can get involved, because I think when issues are very important to our hearts, we can sometimes think that we're being a solution to the problem just because just because we have strong convictions and feelings about it. And that's that's an important thing, of course. However, we can feel like we're helping just because we have strong convictions when we're really not. So I think it's always important to get involved in the public square and the, in the, in the areas that are, that are really important to you. And, and Salem pregnancy is a great example of that. So how do community members best support your cause? So I think first and foremost, they need to be informed. Um, Mm -hmm. Understand, right. Understand the issue because you can do, you're right. What you were saying, you could do more harm than good if you don't actually understand what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's important that we speak out against it, but it's also important that we speak out against it in love. Um, and so, you know, an organization like Salem Pregnancy and there are pregnancy centers um, throughout the state of North Carolina and throughout the country. Um, so anybody that's not here, there are other centers that you can absolutely be involved in. You know, they Um, They all need your help. Even in the states like in Texas, where the abortion law is six weeks, that doesn't mean that abortions are going to end. Um, And even if they were to outlaw abortion altogether, it still doesn't mean that abortions are going to end. Because the issue is that we need to be there for these moms so that they don't feel like that's their only choice. That they're stuck in a place where where they think that they, you know, they believe the society lie that there's no other option for them. And so what we try to do at the pregnancy center and what we encourage you to do is to be a visible choice and to allow people to see that there's another option. And so so funding your pregnancy center is important. Volunteering is important. Coming out to the events to learn more about the issue is important. Um, praying about 
the issue and for the moms that are struggling and understanding that, you know, one of the things that pregnancy centers do and what is so important is that we don't just provide a pregnancy test. We continue mm-hmm. when we walk with these moms for years and um, because we need to change the situation that they were in and help them to get into a better life stage so mm-hmm. that, you know, the vast majority of abortions, women cite actually financial reasons. So let's help them, like help them get a better education, get better jobs, um, you know, have, have skills, help them to raise their children um, in, in a, you know, a safe environment, you know, that's what we are, that's what we work for and what, um, others, you know, need to do. And the other thing is when you talked about the laws, um, you know, even though I said abortion is still going to happen if the laws change, but laws still help. So, Mm -hmm. um, make sure that you vote, (laughs) you know, pay attention to the issues. But again, just like with, with what I said before, you don't want to vote without knowing what you're voting for. So right. don't want to fill out a ballot, understand the issue and, and um, vote for, for legislatures that support what you believe in. Yeah. We talk on this podcast a lot about how much voting matters and how much getting involved matters and how much understanding the issues matter. So thank you for, you know, sharing on this particular topic. And I would just like to edify you guys. So I, as I mentioned, am privy to many moms who have gone through your programs and they feel so loved and so supported. And one of the girls that I mentor is now expecting her second baby who was a planned pregnancy, but still Mm -hmm. she is coming to you guys for services and help and looking forward to going through the program again. And she just beams talking about how much she loves Salem pregnancy. And I think if we want to understand what's actually going on, we have to get involved and see that side of it because that is really what's happening. So anyway, thank you so much, Kimberly, for joining me today and for clearing up some of these issues. We're so grateful for Salem Pregnancy and for your leadership. And um, we'll stay on top of this issue. All right. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. 